Hi, everybody, and welcome to That's Life, the show where when we run the half marathon on May 5th on Long Island, we will have all of Boston in mind. Good afternoon, folks, and thanks for listening. I am Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, and general manager here at the Nahum Siegel Network. You can find me here every Thursday at 2 p.m. as I hope to bring you a little entertainment, a little news, and a little relief that the life you are leading is still not as wacky as mine. Coming to you from the home of the Nahum Siegel Network on the beautiful Lower East Side, I'm wearing sandals, and I'm joined by my handy-dandy partner, Duke. What's up, David? How's it going? Thank God everything is going fine. Everything is going swell, I have to say. Um, I, I think I'm a little uh, over-eager in terms of my summer attire. but <laughs> I walked in, I was like, wow, shit, she's away. <laughs> Yeah, but that's life because, you know what, I just, I, I had enough. <laughs> I had enough. It's been a long it's winter. Been, right, you know what, and it hasn't even been like a heavy snow winter. I know you're an L.A. boy, so everything just makes you annoyed when it comes to, like, the cold. I like the cold. I like snow, but there hasn't been enough snow to be justified by the cold. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that's true. Yeah, my kids are wearing their boots. Like it's, it, it did snow. It just never stuck. We didn't really have, like, a deep sticking. Winter. Right, we didn't have some serious snow where I, like, really had to shovel and, you know, you know, break a sweat. It was nothing like that. It was not a good New York winter. And I like that. Where the whole city is paralyzed. I like that. Not the paralyzed part, but you know what I mean. Anyway, if you are a new listener to the show, thank you for taking a break from your day to tune in. And if you are a returning listener, thanks as always for making us part of your day. If Miriam L. Wallach once a week is just not enough for you, do what Henry Stimler does. Friend me on Facebook or send me an invite on LinkedIn. You can also shoot me an email, miriam at nachumsegel.com. I will not respond to you during the show. I'm just being honest, but I will make sure to get back to you afterwards. You can also please, please, please follow us on Twitter, Nachum Siegel Net, all one word. I do want to thank Henry. That was my shout-out to Henry. I do want to thank Henry Simler, who hosted us at the beautiful J Soho Restaurant on West Broadway in Manhattan. If you are looking for a lovely night out, they are now under the OU. They were formerly known as the Jezebel Restaurant. They have now reinvented themselves as J Soho. If you have not been there, I highly recommend it. And if you have been there, I highly recommend you go back. It was probably the best piece of fish I've had in a restaurant in years. It was fantastic. Um, Henry uh, hosted Nahum and David and I at the restaurant, or I should say and me at the restaurant. Um, it was really it was a fantastic experience. I highly recommend it. Let's go to our favorite segment. What does the fortune cookie say? I could use some fortune. It's been a tough week, Duke. It's been a very tough week. It's been a very, for all of us. For all of us. It's been a very, very tough week for so many reasons. You know, we had Yom HaZikaron and you you had Yom HaAtzma'ut. And for some reason, I mean, for for many reasons, my Yom HaAtzma'ut, as as much as I wore blue and white and really, you know, I said halal, felt the day, it was was hard with everything going on in Boston. It was just really hard. Anyway, let's open the fortune cookie. You can hear it in my voice. It's still there. It's just been been a rough week. Anyway, oh, this is, woo. Okay, this is a problem. I have never seen this before. I may actually take a picture of this fortune cookie and send it out. It's a misprint. <laughs> First of all, can you see it? It's the weirdest thing. Do you see it? The bottom of the sentence, the, the first half of the sentence is on the bottom of the piece of paper. It's like cut wrong. This did not go through quality control because the first half of the sentence of the fortune, I should say, is at the bottom of this little sheet of paper. The second half is at the top, and there is a good... I don't know, two or three centimeters in between. It's been a very topsy-turvy week. Yeah, (laughs) you know what? Even the fortune cookies are affected. Oh, that's bad karma. So this one says you will lead a rich and you will lead a rich and that is your form of wealth. Yeah. 
See, this doesn't even make sense. This one is null and void. I got to get another one from the box. When you have a fortune cookie that makes no sense and is, and oh my gosh, it doesn't even have numbers on the back. Shoot. That's unfortunate. Oh, sorry. Hold on. We should get another fortune cookie. I we should, we should write the, we should write the company. I know. By the way, yeah, Golden Bowl. You should just know. Quality control. Nished get. All right. I'm pulling another one. Oh no. You know what this means though? It means that the wallets have to order more Chinese food because we're low on fortune cookies. I swiped somebody for Shalach Manos gave out like Chinese food and by that I mean like a ton of fortune cookies and like a bottle of something maybe it was sake I don't know anyway I basically gave the sake away and took every fortune cookie I could get my hands on all right we're doing this again we're doing this again round two I know by the way second time's a charm or is it the third time let's hope it's a second I was about to say I don't know how many I can go through okay dessert can make you happy now that's nice <laughs> and by the way the can is in bowl it's in all in caps <laughs> dessert can make you happy you know what that's true i found happiness in a muffin top before the lucky numbers are 56 20 41 9 29 to 37 we may just have to play these we've done well before on on uh scratch off games and other things so who knows we may just play these numbers anyway let's take care of some business here are today's national holidays Duke, you're not going to believe this one. First of all, uh, today, the 18th, it is Adult Autism Day. It is Get to Know Your Customers Day, which also falls out on January 17th, July 18th, and October 17th. So if you don't get to know them today, you have three other days to figure it out. It's National Columnists Day. I guess I could have celebrated that before the South Shore uh, Standard went under. Um, it's National Golf Day. Shout out to my brother-in-law. It's Pet Owners Independence Day. Does that mean you get an your into your your get freedom from your pet i don't understand what that means um it's high five day it is national high five day it is um it is uh, it is something that you can i dare people i dare people to go down the block and start high-fiving people you know what i'm going to do that on the way to the subway today how much fun would that be if i just go over and start high-fiving people You'll get a lot, lot of weird looks, but maybe you'll get some good high fives. Can I, I just tell know. you, I've done Stranger Things on Grand Street. Like when I, um, when Coach Jazz before the Yachad um, Marathon in Miami watched me run up and down Grand Street to assess my running and then videoed me. That was a hoot. That was a hoot. But I think National High Five Day is pretty good. It's also International Amateur Radio Day. So a shout out to my friends at WYUR. Um, it's Poem in Your Pocket Day. If you don't have a poem in your pocket, there's still time. Duke, do you have a poem in your pocket? <laughs> yeah, I know the answer to that question. And it's also Support Teen Literature Day, um, which is always the Thursday of Library Week, and it seems to be Library Week. So if you have a teen, go buy them a new book. Take them a book out of the, take a new book for them out of the library. My kids are just reading. Um, what were what were they just reading? Something by I think his name is John Green. But you, for those of you who are looking for a fantastic book, um, something incredibly, incredibly interesting, I just finished the autobiography of Sonia Sotomayor. Um, it was it was really quite incredible. Also, by the way, Duke, you'll like this. For a guy who just looked at the microwave here in the studio and felt a need to clean it like you're the one who's nesting, it's Cleaning for a Reason Week. It's the 18th to the 24th. It's Cleaning for a Reason Week. It's also Consumer Awareness Week. And um, it is here's here's the best part. You ready, Duke? It's International Whistlers Week. Now, th- yep, I, I I kid you not. Now, why is Ellie that so Hagler, exciting? Ellie Hagler, Ellie Hagler, I'm do you know sure. <laughs> oh my gosh, we got to get Hagler on the air. I am sure 
that Hagler is uh, is already attending the International Whistlers Convention. <laughs> Where is that? Ah, it's in Louisburg. Uh, it's at the Louisburg College in Louisburg, North Carolina, from April 17th to the 21st. Here, you ready for this? It's the 40th anniversary. Uh huh. That's what I'm saying. It's the 40th anniversary of the International Whistlers Convention. It's been going on for. Uh, it's been. It started yesterday. It's going on through the 21st. Now here's the dinger. All events are free of charge, Duke, and open to the public except whistling school, the convention banquet, and the convention buffet. Uh huh. So I say road trip to North Carolina. What's going on today? Um. Ooh. The adult popular competition is happening right now. What? What's an adult popular competition? I don't know, but the official opening of the 40th International Whistlers Convention was this morning. I guess yesterday. Oh, yesterday was registration and some other stuff. I mean, this is fascinating. The children and teen competition followed by the adult finalist is on Chavez. So, unfortunately, Ellie would not be able to compete. I know. I know. It's tragic. It's tragic. Yet something else I'm sure Ellie Hagler would win or would challenge a smaller person at and would lose. But that's another story for another day. Anyway, Crazy follows me everywhere. This week it followed me to my Shabbos table. I haven't told you about this in a while. But um, I, I just wanted to share this cute little anecdote. I've spoken about, you know, usually, as you know, crazy things happen. And my kids are involved because, well, where, where there's crazy, there's my children. And I mean that wholeheartedly and with love. My uh, sons, somehow or another, at the Shabbos table Friday night, were talking about paradise. And my younger son said, um, all of uh, first grade said, I want to go to paradise. I want to see paradise. And my older son said, paradise isn't a real place. It's, it's just, and my, uh, my younger son said, a metaphor? And my eyes bugged out of my head. And I looked at him and I said, yes, a metaphor, at which point, my older son tugs me on the on my shirt and goes, Mommy, what's a metaphor? But it was just it was a crazy, crazy conversation, this word coming out of my small out of my younger son's mouth, to the point where the other night I said to him, Hey, you remember when you mentioned the metaphor? He said, Yeah. I'm like, What's a metaphor? So he said to me, he he says to me, he goes, You know, it's when you take two things that aren't really the same and then you make a point with them. I'm like all right, that works. I'm like, and then I said, um, he goes, you know, like the time you gave me the example when you said, like, when you're pregnant, you're as big as a house. I'm like, there we go. Okay. <laughs> so I guess he was listening because not only did he use the example appropriately, but he used the word in appropriate context. You're listening to That's Life live from the home of the Nakam Siegel Network here on the beautiful Lower East Side. Oh, I really am sounding a little bit nasal. I am Miriam L. Wallach on the stream, and I am here to introduce and welcome my first guest liam goldenberg chief bottle washer at goldmont realty corp as his business card reads is a friend of nahum's and a friend of jm and ams and joins us here at that's life here on the lower east side to discuss what i think is a particularly interesting topic something we haven't actually focused on here at that's life from this angle but there's been a lot of chatter and i'm and i'm a little bit hesitant to discuss this um, post-Boston, because I don't want anybody to think that I'm bashing anyone else, but that's really not the angle that we're looking for. Po- the, over the weekend, there was a lot of chatter, a number of articles that came out about Vice President Biden's uh, charitable donations that has recently come, that has recently been brought to light. In um, the, Dr. Biden and Vice President Biden 
filed two separate returns. And it seems that at, at, from a cumulative point of view that they donated 1.87% of their annual income to charity in 2012. Now, the, the Obamas, according to recent accounts, have donated 25% of their income. But it really brought the whole conversation, the whole topic, brought the, com- brought the topic to me to light of the need to give, the Jewish call to give, and whether we have the right to sit here and criticize anyone else's lack of giving. So, as a friend of Jame and the AM, Leon was definitely the man to call, and I thank Leon for joining me. Thank you. So, tell me what you thought when you heard about this. I'm not in the least bit surprised. Really? No. No. Disappointed? Nothing? Not really. I, I told you a story earlier. There was a story about President Reagan uh, when he was president. Okay, And that was one of the first times that the uh, president started to release the tax returns. Right. And he made some $400,000 that year. I don't know the exact amount. And he had given away, uh, I think it was like $2,500, $2,700, which included uh, clothing to the Salvation Army. And it included the same thing that Biden did. I don't know if it's Salvation Army, but the same idea. It also included $1,000 that he gave out in cash. So one of the reporters said, Mr. President, cash? Who did you give cash to? And the president, with no shame, as president, this was not, you know, speaking, this was not a tax return from prior to being elected. This was a tax return as president. He said, well, you know, people come over to me on the street and they ask me, you know, for a cup of coffee, a couple of dollars, or for lunch, or whatever, and I give out $10, $20 here and there. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but uh, President Obama, when he went down, I forget, in '09, he went to visit one of the cities, and, you know, after the collapse of uh, 2009, and he wanted to buy stuff in a store. And he had no cash on him. He had no cash, right. no credit cards, right. and he had to turn to somebody and say, uh, give me a credit card. Right. Can I bum something off of you? Right. 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 So right. basically there's no legitimacy or there are real holes in President Reagan's story. Right, right. And if you take a look, there's a lot of stuff that's been written comparing liberals <laughs> with conservatives, and conservatives generally do give more. They're generally more religious, and it's religious people that give more, whether they're giving heavily to their churches or synagogues, but that's reality. But from a Jewish perspective, uh, a few interesting stories. Number one, there was a survey done five to seven years ago of all mega gifts in America, which I don't remember if it was ten million dollars or twenty five million. Okay. Jews gave twenty five percent of all mega gifts wow. in the United States. Wow. But the sad part is that from those mega gifts and from those Jewish foundations, only six percent of Jewish foundations give to Jewish causes. Jewish causes includes the Jewish Museum, it includes Mount Sinai Hospital, which was once known as Jews Hospital, and was endowed by a Jew Mm. named Turo, uh, and that's where they're giving their money. So Jews, by and large, outside of the Orthodox world, are not giving to Jewish causes, they're still giving tzedakah, they still have the concept of tzedakah, while most other things have fallen away, tzedakah still remains a major issue, but even that's falling away. And that's how it is. That's, Where are they giving? They're giving the secular uh, Jews, so the to secular speak. Secular Jews, you just saw now. One gives a billion dollars to the museum. Louder. Right. 
Okay, it's a billion dollars, not that an. Is, that's a B. I was about to M. say that's a B, not an M. Right. right. He just gave a billion dollars in paintings to the museum. You know, it's very nice. But what you know, his brother, who's out there giving money in, in Eastern Europe to really bring back Judaism, right. has really found the right thing to do with his money. And I'm not knocking him for giving a billion dollars to the museum. But the reality is, what's more important? So the Bidens are classic. They're not atypical. They're classic. No. And if you take a look, there's, you know, I did some, some research, and you'll see they, they did a survey of a lot of politicians, and most of them are giving like that. The only one that uh, sticks out from the few that they did was uh, Elliot Spitzer, who gives a fair amount, and I actually had a very nice um, um, Sadak issue with him. Oh, really? Yes. I'm involved with Tom Cheshavis for uh, 38 years. <laughs> well, since you're only 48, you started really young. 46. 46, my bad. Right, okay, right, yeah. Right. My father <laughs> passed away, and it was something that he did. Uh-huh. Um, he had a little butcher shop. Nice. And he used to have, uh, I used to make deliveries for him. And he used to tell me, this person, bring the door, leave it by the door, and then walk away. Don't ask any questions. And don't ask any questions. So I, after a few different people like that, I said to my father, Ta, I don't know how to tell you this. Right. But you have to realize, you have a, and I said, why don't they want, you know, they don't like to tip. Mm. So I said, Ta, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of your customers don't like to tip. <laughs> so why do I have to leave these by the door? And right. the other ones, I have one person that lives on the fourth floor walk up, always takes these $50 orders, and I got to schlep up there. And she never tips. She says, thank you very much. That's so it great. took me a while to realize. That's great. Right. So right after that, after he passed away, I got involved with Tom Cheshavis. And uh, when Elliot Spitzer was uh, elected as the attorney general, mm-hmm. He was working with Avi Schick, or Avi Schick was working for him. I was about to say, right? yeah. <laughs> well, you know. That's all right. It's it, all good. No, 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 no. It could be that uh, Elliot Spitzer was working for Avi Schick because he had him, you know, okay. uh, on doing all kinds of good well, things. All kinds of stuff, right. And he said he wants to show him Tom Cheshavis. Hmm. And I, we brought him down there, and after seeing it, he took out a checkbook. No way. And he wrote out a check, which I have taken dozens of politicians down there. He was the only one to actually take out a checkbook and write a check to the organization. See? It wasn't a massive check, but it was the idea right. that he saw a good cause and on the spot took out a check and wrote it. See, there's this, this is the thing. The putting your money where your mouth is. The, the, and, and I can say this as a person who has many liberal politics. But at the end of the day... There are a number of really there, – there are phenomenal causes out there. There are phenomenal stockote that are all worthy of being supported. But there's this commonality of talking about how all these programs should be supported, all these, um, you know, state or, or federal programs should be supported, and that it should come from taxes and it should come from the government. It should come from your pocket, my pocket. And then we have the Bidens who are giving less than 2%. And included in that are more goods than anything else. I mean, the the uh, the readout of uh, furniture and dishware and old toys and clothing, and whatever. I'm like, seriously, that's spring cleaning. I did that last week. I didn't itemize anything. I gave it away and called it a day. Because in a million years, that wouldn't be part of my mental husband. That's right. not part of my miser. Not in a million years. Right. And to me, it was just a total chutzpah. And I posted this article on Facebook, and you should have seen the comments I got that I had chutzpah 
for calling them out on it. I'm like, you kidding me? You got to be kidding me. But if you take a look at the difference between the conservatives and the liberals. Okay, but he's also a religious man. He's a religious man. But the difference between the liberals and the conservatives are the conservatives believe that we have to help people. Okay, while the liberals believe. Are all talk. No, that the government has to do it. Hmm. So that's where a little bit, I'm not saying that's the reason, but if you take a look at all the studies that were done, and uh, here's uh, there's two two studies what were done. One was the 2008, who voted for McCain, who voted for Obama, right. and then they did the giving on mm. that. And the states that voted for McCain, which were the more conservative states, gave much higher percentages. Interesting. And if you take a look, uh, here's one that shows the uh, philanthropy of uh, the southeast, which gave 5.2 percent, to the northeast, which gave 4 percent. Southeast is very conservative. Right. Northeast, Bible Belt. Right, Bible Belt, and this is where we live. But let me tell you some Jewish things that I think that are important. One thing Rabbi Yisri Zetzal, who was the Rav Neogod on Avenue L, said, that if all Jews gave miser, all the yeshivas would have plenty of money. Mm. All the tzedakahs would have plenty of money. See, even in our own community, right. there are plenty of people that make you know all kinds of cheshmans, and I see it on a regular basis because I'm fundraising on a regular basis, and they make a cheshman. What is my do I have to get a nurse? It's not really one of the it's not like keeping Shabbos. Even mm. though it should be, but it's, it's not, not black and white. And the other thing that I think is very critical is miser of what? Cash? What about I don't mean cash versus check. Yeah, I got that. <laughs> uh, what about your time? Right. What Sweat equity. Sweat, Sweat equity versus equity. Right. And that's critical, and that's right. brought down that you have to give up your time also. Right. And by the way, and that's incredibly valuable. People's time, and whether it's in yeshiva, whether it's in your in your shul, whatever it is, right. if you can't give from your pocket, give from your time. No, even if you can give from your pocket, you should also give. You should from also your give. From it shouldn't always. But just be, if absolutely. you can't give from your from your pocket, at least at least give right. the time, and you'll right. see a lot of people that can't afford to give, but they're not giving their time either, mm. and the time could be used in many different ways. Right. Two very nice things that were said by Rav Pam Satsal. I heard from uh, Rabbi um, Reisman. Questions. You take a look at this farm. I forgot to bring it down. There's a safer. It's called Giving by Rabbi Goldberg in Staten Island. I forget the exact uh, title. Very interesting book. What is the order of who you should give tzedakah to? Mm. So it's Talmud Chacham, Talmud Chacham that doesn't have money. There's an entire order. So Rabbi Reisman asked his Rebbe, should I follow that? Or what should I follow when I give my tzedakah? So he told him, don't follow that order. He says, follow your heart. Hmm. Why? Good sir. He says, because if you follow your heart, you'll give and give and give. If you're going to do it based on halacha, you're going to sit there with a pen. This month I made $5,000. I can deduct my daughter's tuition. That's $500. I can deduct this. Oh, I'm left with $40 to give tzedakah. The other thing that I heard from him... So the passion. So just getting back passion. to it, I don't want to leave right. that moment for a second. Right. So people should find a tzedakah that they're passionate about. Right. I mean, you, as as a person who fundraises for multiple tzedakot, it comes from somewhere. It's not just that you you know, you know started young as a child because your father ingrained that in you. But you have to feel passionate about every one of those things. Right. Otherwise, you can't and you can't go. You can't do. You can't ask. Right. That's That's 
critical right. is to be passionate about whatever it is. And then you'll give more. And right. you won't sit and calculate to the penny. And you'll feel good about it. Right. There's that generosity. Did you see the article in the New York Times? I don't mean to interrupt. There was an article in the New York Times Magazine a couple of weeks ago about a professor, um, Grant, who talks about how productivity at the workplace is um, increased multiple fold when people realize that the um, that the benefits that they're getting are that generosity of heart. And then they want to keep doing more for other people that they work for professionally or work with professionally because they feel good as a person. So they're not making any more money off of it. They're not pocketing anything, but they feel like a mensch. They feel good about themselves, and therefore they want to do more. And I would imagine that that's the exact same concept here, is that you you and I, thank God, are not benefiting from Tomre Shabbos because we're not receiving the packages, but we feel great doing it, which is what makes people go back week after week. 100%. That's it. 100%. The other thing that he said that was very interesting that he asked him, he says, I have $200 of my Somali month. That's what I have. Right. I have two options. If I send $200 to one place, whether it's a shul or yeshiva, $200 a month, $2,400 a year, it adds up to a couple of dollars. But I daven in Anagoda, which means that every morning there are at least six, seven, eight, ten people coming in asking for quarters. Hmm. And I can give out my $200 by giving out quarters every single day. <laughs> so can I make an impact $200 a month or should I give out the quarters? And his answer was give out the quarters. Really? Yes, because every time that you go into your pocket, you know, it hurt. not that it hurts, but you feel it. Right. You look at the guy and say, another one? <laughs> and then you still put your hand in your pocket and you take out the quarter. And you give it to them. And that will develop in you giving. And along those lines, there's a very nice story told about the Satmar Rebbe. About 40 years ago, probably more than, probably about 50 years ago, there was a very wealthy family in Europe that sent their son to learn in Satmar. Now, it's hard to imagine for a lot of people, but 40, 50 years ago, if your parents lived in Europe, you wrote letters and you never spoke to them. But they were so wealthy Mm. that once a week... The mother would call the son. Wow. So she calls the son. She says, so what did you do today? He says, I went around shores collecting nickels. And she says, (laughs) what? (laughs) We are the Rachmans of (laughs) the world. What do you mean you're collecting nickels? We don't do that. You tell your Rebbe, we don't do that. Okay, she calls him a week later. So what did you do today? I went around for nickels. He says, didn't you tell your Rebbe? He says, I told my Rebbe. He says, you know what? I'm, how much did you collect today? He says, I collect about a dollar twelve. He says, I'm sending you an extra check for five dollars. You give it to the Rebbe. We do not go around collecting nickels. He calls him a week later. He says, uh, so you didn't collect this week? He says, yes, I went around for nickels. So she really... That was it. That was it. So she tried calling the Rebbe. Now, I don't know if she actually spoke to the Rebbe directly or if the message was transferred. But the message was that, yes, that is part of the chinuf, mm. going around for a nickel. When you take the bizyinus that people give you when you ask for a nickel, okay, then later on when you're capable of giving money, some people are and some people aren't, right. you'll know what the bizyinus are of going around for a nickel. Wow. So if you want them to stay in this yeshiva, that's part of our chinuf. Good, Moshe. You want them out, no problem, take them out. So, so that, that 
was a really an incredible lesson for all of us. Good musser. Learning how, and that's one thing that I've learned, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, from Shalom Torah Centers, the board of directors gave right. me a, an award, uh, which said, you know, for the time that I spend, but most importantly, for the bazillionists that I take <laughs> in going around for money. That's what it said on the plaque? That's what it says on the plaque. Wow. Leon Goldenberg yeah. joins us here at That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network, discussing charity, discussing giving, discussing the Bidens. Discussing philanthropy, you know, at the your, your my, the alphabet soup at the end of my name says uh, M S E D M A because you know I spent so much money on these graduate degrees I got to get my uh, alphabet soup in somewhere. And you are C B W Chief Bottle Washer, which is you know I hope you didn't pay for that in graduate school, but you paid for that through uh, sweat. I can imagine. I uh, just don't take myself too seriously. Good for you. Good for you. How do people react to that? I mean, it literally, it follows your name on your emails, on everything else. Well, a lot of people, uh, believe it or not, there are people that I email for months at a time, and then finally they get up the nerve to ask And say, ask what it is? (laughs) And I always send back my first email is, a bright, intelligent, educated person like you doesn't doesn't know. know. Smart Alec. Yes, 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 yes. And then they come. Right. And I was trying to figure it out. I'm like, all right, that's not a degree I know of. I come from a family of, academ- of academics. There's got to be something. I'm like, all right, you know, it's, it's not this. It's not this. It's not this. I'm like, that's it. I give up. I give up. There was no way I was getting that one. You gave yourself that title? Yes. It, I know when to be serious. Right. And other than that, I don't take myself seriously. How do you, how do you face a – I mean, you, you represent multiple stuckhoat. How do you – um, or what are the tips that you would give if somebody is going out as a um, as a fundraiser for a stucco? When you're looking at a person, and and you know, you know, my father fundraised for years, and you know, you're not. This is not going in your pocket, but still, you have to sell it like like that stucco depends on you bringing home a check. How do you sell it? It does. Uh, Many um, times it does. Right. It's not the stucco. It's the payroll mm. that depends on it. And uh, sometimes I'm successful, and sometimes I get. Uh, tremendous, I don't want to say insults, but uh, people that I know that it, and it's very difficult to pick up a phone and call somebody right. for money, and I uh, generally don't totally call, cold call. As I, now I'm at the stage where I call people that I believe will know who I am. Okay. Uh, I'm not a real fundraiser, but I do it because it has to be done. Because it has to be done. And payrolls have to be met. And, and that's in the work of all the different organizations I'm involved in, have to go on. So I do it on a regular basis. But it's a very difficult. It's a, People don't do not appreciate real fundraisers. Mm. Uh, the time and the effort and the no's or what? Oh, the hang click. The, the click. click. And then the people that say to you, and this is also something that uh, I had uh, about three, four years ago, uh, I met somebody at a um, at a political function, okay. and they wanted to come over and see me. And I have right now I'm inundated with the stockers, and I said, "I give you a check. You're not going to get more, mm. whether you come or you don't come. That's where I'm at, okay?" And she turns to me and she says, "That was quick." And I said, "Would you rather <laughs> that I tell you?" Call me next week. Right, drag it out. Drag it out, make you call again and again. I have that. I've had one guy that made me call for over two years. What? Constantly another two weeks, another two weeks. And you kept it up? I kept it up, and then finally, after two years, 
He gave. No. No? No, no. I was waiting for like the pot at the end no, of the rainbow. No, 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 no. Oh. I finally let him know <laughs> what I thought. Good for you. I mean, at some point or another. I mean, there's there's the direct approach and there's the honest approach. And there's always the, you know, I've had this conversation with other people, whether it's about business or it's about fundraising. The the At the end of the day, people don't want smoke and mirrors. People don't want flashy stories. They just want just want somebody to be honest with them. Right. Just want somebody to be straight with them. These are our needs. This is our stucca. I, I think the Elliot Spitzer story really just, I mean, just going back to that that example, you, you brought somebody and you hit them, you, you got to their heart. And that's also part of it is that to make someone else feel your passion, to make someone else understand that without their giving, this doesn't exist. I think that's what bothers me so much besides the fact that I feel that there's a tremendous amount of hypocrisy here. But I think that's what bothers me so much with the Bidens is that if we don't give, if everyone doesn't give, there will be none. And I and that's the government. Me. Right. And the government is not the answer to everything. No, no, I will tell you one thing further with uh, Elliot Spitzer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it had to do with him seeing Tom Cheshavis and Avi Shik, of course, uh, who was really wonderful. There was a, um, a settlement with a vitamin company. Okay. That... Um, also advertising, I don't, really don't know exactly what it was. And the settlement was that they had to give out $5 million to food banks. Hmm. Because of his trip to Tamche Shabbos, uh, 10% of the settlement wow. went to Jewish, not just ours, but Tamche Shabbos is all over, although we are the first, uh, but it went to Rockland County, went to, I think, to the five, I don't re- really know which Tamche Shabbos they went to. But 10% of the settlement went to Tom Cheshavis. Unbelievable. So you never know when you make, you know, right. sometimes you don't make that strike right away, but later on it will come back. Generosity, there, there's no end to being generous. I think that people also need to understand that, is that those those good feelings of when you give, whatever, what, and that quarter, that, that quarter story is, is fantastic. Because it's also about it's also about the art of giving, and there is an art of giving. You can be a person who gives, uh, you know, panim yafot, and that's how we should all give, not begrudgingly, but with that open heart. Even though it's hard, even though putting your hand into your pocket every single time to pull out a quarter is hard, you should always still give it with that open heart, with that smile. With that smile, I get told that by many mishalachim that. Uh, you know, my office is open. People come uh, on a regular basis. And before they leave, and nobody gets a check on the spot. They all go, you know, on a computer and they go by mail. Uh, many of them stop to tell me, thank you for your smile. Hmm. And thank you. And another really very nice story that I once had, somebody came to my door okay. in the house. And uh, my mail slot is higher up. Okay. At that time, was on the side of the door. And I open up the door, and I say, come in. And he's standing. It was a cold, cold day. So I was thinking about the story with, uh, who was it? There was a story about the uh, Adam Guddle that went to ask for money, stood by the door, and when the uh, Gavir invited him, he said no. And it was a freezing day. And finally, you know, he said, I want you to feel the cold that these people have Ugh. because they have no heat. But that wasn't this. That wasn't okay. the story here. He's not coming in. I said, come in. He's not coming in. I said, come in. You want to stand by the door? Stand by the door. But 
you can come in. Right. So finally, after a minute, he's sort of like very hesitant. I started to get nervous because, you know, he looked like a normal guy, you know. And he finally comes in, he sits down, and he just looks around and breathes. And then he says, can I explain myself to you? Hmm. And I said, yes. Okay. He says, my last stop, my last stop was in a house where I rang the doorbell. They asked me through the intercom, what is it that you want? I explained it. It was a young girl. I don't know exactly how old, probably 12, 14 years old. She said one minute. And one minute, two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, I'm standing outside. And finally, the mail slot on the bottom opens up. And she says, it's in the slot. So now I got to get down on my hands and knees. Mm. He says, it's not like your slot, which is on top. It's on the bottom of the door. I got to get down on my hands and knees. Like he's begging. Right. And I open up the slot. And it had a spring. So it's, you know. Smacked him in the hand. Not in the hand. Right. And I'm trying to pull it out. And finally I get it out. And it's a dollar. So he says, so my last stop is standing by the door, getting on my hands and knees, begging for that dollar. And then you say, come in. And you expect me to simply say, no problem. I'm still hesitant. I think you're slamming the door in my face. So I had a partner, Yassel Kreuzer, 35 years ago, 30 odd years ago, who said, whatever you do, give him a smile. You want to give him a dollar? It doesn't make a difference. Let him go out feeling that he can go knock on the next door. Wow. Not go out with the idea that this is what it's like. I can't do it anymore. Hmm. So that's critical in how you give. You said it, and it really is critical that when you do give and when you talk to somebody, let them smile to them, listen to a story. You have time. You have less time. Tell them it's less time. I have a minute for you. I have two minutes. Give me your spiel, whatever it is. That's what it is. But don't make him go out feeling that he cannot go knock on the next door. Wow. That is, that's an incredible, that's an incredible anecdote. That's a real, really, that's a strong lesson. That is a very strong lesson. You're listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm joined by Leanne Goldenberg, who, amongst other accolades, is a good friend of JMA, and we always encourage him to come by, and we thank him for his support. You know, Leanne, we have a couple minutes left, and I don't want to take up too much of your time, even though I, I should have just kept you for the whole 60 minutes. I feel badly for Ari that I'm having on in a couple minutes. Um, but, you know, there, there's, there's, there's a feeling that I get, and this may be too long of a conversation for now, that sometimes I'd rather give something than just not knowing where the cash goes to. So if somebody comes out, if somebody is standing outside of the supermarket or whatever it is, and that's a common occurrence now, you know, in the five towns near, you know, where I live, where somebody, Arab Shabbos, is looking for something, and I'll say to them, can I buy you a chicken? Can, right. I, can I buy you challah? Can I buy you something for Shabbos? Because to me, I I mean, maybe I don't get the right to know where that $5 is going or $10 is going, whatever. But I also like to feel that I'm helping to make their Shabbos. I'm helping to put, to do what I can to increase their their, their own Shabbos, to, to take off some of that burden. And and that's the way I, I, I like to help in those kind of situations. Is that wrong? No, I think it's wonderful. And I'll tell you another reason why it's wonderful. Because people like to say, eh, he doesn't really need, doesn't really need. Like to say, ah, he's a schnorr. He's not, he's not really. So when you buy him that chicken or you buy him that challah, okay, the bottom line is they're taking it home and they're feeding it. And then that 
cuts out the excuse that he doesn't really need. Mm. You know, there are people when they come around in shul, there are guys that, you know, he's just a schnara. You know what? Maybe he is collecting for himself. They don't announce I'm collecting for this or right. collecting for that. And if he, if this is how he has to make his living by going around in the mornings, there's one guy that comes around that was in shul yesterday that I checked out and he has a job, but he also has a big family. Mm. And therefore he goes around one day a week and he collects, I don't know what he's collecting, he's collecting $50, $100, but it's literally what he needs to get by. So it doesn't make sense. So when you're getting the food or you're buying them, and I, when I see these guys, uh, like on Avenue M, you have your, I don't want to say drug users or drugs, but you know who they are. Questionable, right. Questionable. I always tell them I go to Garden of Eden uh, in the morning for out. breakfast. Order what you want. You want to eat? No problem. Right. You want a dollar that you might buy drugs with or a drink? Right. Not interested. Yeah, that's what worries me. And uh, a lot of people take me up, and they'll say, you know, whatever they want doesn't make a difference. But at least I know I didn't support their drug habit, right. their cigarette habit, or their uh, drinking habit. I remember getting a cup of coffee once and literally a woman following me in was right on my heels. And she says to me, and I turn around, she's saying this, she goes, you know, do you have a dollar? I said, can I buy you a cup of coffee? And then she says to me, can you buy me a latte? And I swear that that story really happened. Anyway, Leon Goldenberg, thank you so much for joining me. Chief bottle washer, I mean... It's really, it's, um, I, I like it. I, we're going to keep with that. We're just going to leave it alone. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you coming down. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. You're listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am Miriam L. Wallach coming to you from the Lower East Side. And uh, we're going to take a shift. We're going to take a serious shift in terms of our topics. It's a little bit lighter and definitely a lot tastier. Ari White is the pit boss for Hakadosh Barbecue. I swear that's the name. Hakadosh Barbecue. It is a Texas roadside smokehouse. They are a pop-up restaurant, so to speak, that you can find at various local street fairs. And that's where I met Ari last week in Brooklyn. Hello, Ari. Hi. So happy to be on the show. I Listen, it was completely bashert that I met you last week. I saw the um, I saw the info on Facebook, and I had heard about it from Elon Kornblum that you do this. And, the, the, you know, this pop-up restaurant idea is a real trend in America. And I was happy to see – I'm happy to hear about it months ago that – some, you know, good kosher caterer like Gemstone, which you represent, um, decided to get on board and you launched this. Yeah, we've been having a, a great time with this already. It's uh, just the beginning of the season, but uh, a lot of good stuff to come. Was last year your first year? Uh, last summer, we uh, experimented with uh, with a handful of uh, pop-ups, okay. which were full-on restaurants, and were really blown away by the... Uh, by the turnout, we served over 3,000 people in four days. Unbelievable. Uh, I guess officially we're the uh, largest kosher restaurant for at least uh, two of those <laughs> on earth. Right. And uh, just knew that we were kind of on to something, so um, we're just kind of letting it grow and see where it, uh, where it takes us. It's really fantastic, and one of the things that, um, that I was so excited about was, you know, anytime you go somewhere as a Jew who keeps kashros and and as Shomer Torah Mitzvot, you always just want to fit in, especially when it comes to food. So the fact that we showed up at this street fair last week in Brooklyn, in a part of Brooklyn where you don't expect to see HaKadosh Barbecue or any other Jews cooking food on the side of the road, um, all of a sudden we were like everyone else. And, and it's just nice to be able to partake in something from, from a, like a complete experience point of view. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, it happens to be, uh, I guess, perfect timing while, uh, while Texas barbecue is really in my blood and something that 
has been a part of my life from as, uh, as far back as I can remember. Uh, it happens to be very much in the limelight, uh, you know, this, uh, these days here in New York City. Um, and uh, so I guess uh, serendipitous timing, as right. it were. Absolutely. So let's talk about that for a second. You got into this how? Are you from Memphis? Uh, no, actually, I'm a Texan, born Uh-oh. and raised. I thought you were going to say something like you're from the Bronx, and I'd be like, dude, that doesn't work, but okay. No, I happen to live in the Bronx, if Riverdale <laughs> can be called the Bronx, right. but uh, <clears throat> I still think of myself as a, as a tourist here in New York, okay. just going, I guess, into my 17th year <laughs> as a tourist. You still have a Texas uh, license, don't you? Um, I, I wish that Geico would let me get away with that, but... Um, <laughs> It's uh, it's somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you you framed it anyway. So you're from Texas, right? Um, you know, it's a uh, family, I guess, uh, celebrations were um, almost defined by uh, the length of time that that my father um, or grandfather, as it were, would be uh, outside um, babying the uh, the smoker, wow. and whether it was it was a circus or somebody's graduation or an anniversary, you know, it's. Uh, I guess the the level of import was almost dictated by uh, by <laughs> by what was going into it. So you telling um, me? You're telling I guess me it you... always uh, was just sort of um, representative of of special occasions, and I guess it's uh, it's kind of nice to be able to do this every week now. I was about to say, are you are you telling me that you grew up with a smoker the size of the smoker? You no, I was about uh, to say because no, that's much, pretty much intense. Humbler beginnings. <laughs> uh, we had a. Uh, Smoker made out of a a barrel. Back in Texas, it's all about homemade smokers. But okay. uh, no, uh, <laughs> there was no twenty foot barbecue rig parked it at w- my house. I was about to say, you know, if every guy on the block has a twenty foot barbecue smoker on their front lawn, Texas is really a place I got to go visit. Uh, Into that, sister. <laughs> <laughs> how did you did you design this smoker? You bought it. I mean, tell me how so, this works. Because so funny I, enough, uh, after the pop ups, I knew that I just needed something more. We actually ran out of food. Uh, two of the days, the wow. first serving 1,300, mm. the second 1,500. Unbelievable. So uh, I just we need to do something with capacity. So I did actually pick up a boat trailer, and the original plan was to build one out of like a 500-pound a, a uh, propane tank. Okay. And then I happened upon um, this smoker, which is made by uh, – I can't even call these guys the Cadillac of smokers. They're really more <laughs> the, the Lamborghini of smokers. Ooh. Um, nice. called Gator Pits of Texas. Okay. They're, they're based in Houston. And uh, it was a $30,000 smoker on eBay for a third of that. So with the help of some phenomenal clients who, uh, who I guess, believed in us, um, we were able to get it. And thanks to the Star K and three incredibly dirty hard weeks of work <laughs> by uh, my guys, we got it koshered. And, oh, my uh, God. Now it's smoking. Wow. I, I, I mean, there are so many questions I have, and we only have so much time. But I guess my first question would be, I mean, h- how did you co- – I mean, you really can buy anything on eBay. This just confirms it to me. But how do you how do you kosher that? Uh, um, it required so much elbow grease you can't imagine. I can't Anybody imagine. actually curious could go on the Facebook page, look up a Hakkadosh barbecue, and there's a uh, nearly 100 pictures <gasps> um, documenting the uh, three weeks. But there were chemical cleans, there was power washing, there was sandblasting, um, uh, sort of repeated again and again and again and again, cutting through nearly a half inch of the trafist patina possible. Um, as uh, While the grills have to be cleaned on this between every use, generally speaking, the, the inside of the tanks uh, are not. 
Um, and uh, all of that before firing it up to 1,500 degrees to get that entire beast, um, 4,700 pounds of cast iron glowing. Oh, my word. Red. Oh, my uh, word. Yes. I have to, but just to, just to take a step back for a second, when you say the racks are cleaned um, every single time between uses, that's not from Akasha's point of view. That's from a maintenance kind of view. If you oh, treat- good, good barbecue starts with a clean grill. Right. It's really that easy. Right. It's just that's basics. That's if you're doing it at home, you're doing it in, you know, at a giant game, you're tailgating, or you're doing it in a, you know, massive smoker that you picked up on eBay. Right. Right. <laughs> what so kind of cleanliness comes first in this business? Cleanliness comes first. That's good, Mustard. What? Tell me about the. Uh, tell me about the different kinds of wood that you use because I knew, I found that very very fascinating on Sunday. So uh, uh, where I'm from. Um, we would generally use mesquite and pecan woods because that's sort of what's everywhere. And while I, I love both of them, um, I guess we very much uh, operate uh, under the guise of uh, um, love the one you're with. So uh, <laughs> okay. after Sandy, um, I was lucky enough to collect uh, a couple oak trees, uh, a sweet maple, two apples, a cherry, a mulberry, uh, and a couple uh, pear trees. So we're pretty set for uh, for a couple years out. Unbelievable. Um, for the meats, for the brisket and ribs, generally I use uh, oak and apple. Uh, for the poultries or some of the more, I guess, exotic offerings, uh, 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 baby back uh, veal ribs or we make a, a duck breast prosciutto. Um, really? For those, we, we have quite a bit more fun, and, and uh, I suppose they take on the flavors of so, some of the more exotic woods even more. Uh, this last year at the, at the Kosher Food and Wine Expo, for instance, we did uh, a, a Herzog uh, wine barrel smoked uh, uh, veal bellies. Wow. And uh, which was, God bless the Herzogs for giving me so many of those things, <laughs> um, which we broke into pieces and burnt. Wow. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, the, the flavor really uh, is dictated by, by the types of woods that are used, each having sort of their own nuances. So you're the only guy who made out well from Sandy. Uh, I... <laughs> and of course, obviously, we're overstating when, when that. I'm saying, lemons, I'm, yeah, like, I was about to say, I'm saying that tongue in cheek. I, I, I'll pass it, pass it over. That is for sure. I want people to understand what's on the menu just so that they can understand, A, what my kids chowed down on both <laughs> Sunday and Sunday night, but also what's available this Sunday, because on April 21st, you guys will be at the Chinatown Street Festival Correct. on the corner of Lafayette and Leonard. Um, in Chinatown. So on the menu, we have the white oak and apple smoked large Texas rubbed turkey legs. They're, they're $10 a piece. And I, again, I mean, I, I, I saw this and I thought it was great that you comment that the, this week's legs are a wee bit smaller than last week, so you drop the price accordingly. Right. I, I, it's so menschy. It's just, <laughs> it's just so menschy. How much smaller are they? Because last week they were humongous. Uh, so they, uh, I think the, the first week around they were about a pound and a half. This time around they were maybe uh, just uh, just over a pound or a pound and a quarter. But, uh, you know, we're not trying to be chazers over here. Right. Well, I was so. about to say chazers is what you tried to avoid when you cautioned that thing. <laughs> But uh, you should just know that I posted, I sent a good friend of mine a picture of my husband holding that turkey leg. Now, my hu- <laughs> my husband is not a small, petite man, and that turkey leg was still commensurate. Awesome. With, it was unbelievable. So he, point, he sends, I sent this picture to a friend of mine, and he sends it back to me. 
Now that looks like a big piece of meat. And I said, you know, he was like Fred Flintstone walking yeah, around with that. Definitely very, uh, it, it, it drives with the caveman diet, that's it's for sure. For sure. So yeah, that is, sure. okay, so then you also have the smokehouse pulled barbecue chicken sandwich, mm-hmm. the 18-hour smokehouse barbecue brisket pulled or sliced sandwich, the right. sliced Texas rub brisket, and a good old-fashioned hot dog. And for those of you who are wondering what I ate, since I don't eat meat, I had the slaw, which I thought was great and light. And also, I mean, the highlight of my day was the key limeade. <laughs> that drink that drink was just delicious. It was like the perfect top off to what everyone else was chowing down on. And you know what else I found interesting, Ari, is how many people were there who were not wearing yarmulkes because it just attracted everyone. Yeah, I'd say that uh, <clears throat> so far out of the couple weeks we've been doing this, um, uh, maybe just just less than half of of the uh, customers we've served have been Jewish. Really? So I mean that's kind of the the, the most exciting part. Like I can tell you that the hands down uh, best comment or compliment that that we got this last week was actually from a, a New York City police officer who's I guess the end of his shift at the street fair and came up to tell me that it was it was the best pulled pork he'd ever had. <gasps> And, wow! Uh, <laughs> that is the ultimate I don't know compliment. If I could put that on my website. I don't know if the Stark A would approve. I was but, about uh, to say you it's... and I, you and I can appreciate that comment. <laughs> but that, uh, by the way, that is the sincerest. That is the most, the most unbelievable form of flattery ever. Right. It's crazy. Yes, I mean that's that's a great, great line. It's like when somebody tells me my cookies taste common stick. Like, <laughs> it's like, really? That's so nice. Oh my gosh, that's hysterical. And where were you the other day? You had an interesting Yom mode. Uh, yeah, we were in Riverdale. Uh, SAR uh, was celebrating with uh, Yom Ha'atzmaut Chagiga. Um, so I think they had nearly 1,500 people. Oh my word! So it uh, the rain held out, which means our tefillah were answered. And uh, yeah, thank God it was uh, a very long, but uh, definitely a, a fun one. Well, Ari White, I wish you continued Hatzlacha. People, you can go on GotCholent.com. That is the uh, how shall we say the official company name. Uh, Gotcholent, yes. Gotcholent or Gemstone Catering. Right. Gotcholent.com or Gemstone Caterers. Ari is also the executive chef and owner of Gotcholent, so you can reach him there. And also find them on Facebook, so you can find them every... Are you are you around every week of the summer? Uh, just about. With the one or two weeks that we'll be out, we'll be doing uh, a couple full-on pop-ups. Uh, the very first one, I believe, Memorial Day in West Hamptons. The rest uh, will be hitting up Teaneck, the Five Towns. Uh, Riverdale, and most likely Queens. Well, I definitely uh, want to hear when you're going to be in the five towns, and I also look forward to seeing you at the Long Island uh, uh, Kosher Barbecue Cook-Off, right? Yep, June 9th. Un- Absolutely. Unbelievable. All right, Ari, continued Hatzlacha and continue making that great food. Thanks so much for joining me. Right on. Thank you so much. Pleasure. You've been listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am Miriam L. Wallach, and in desperate need of some pulled brisket. I've never had a – you too? You are, you're into that also? I know. I'm saying I'm a bit having a craving, but if I say I'm having a craving, I think somebody's going to panic. I'm not expecting, but I am having a craving for a little pulled brisket. Anyway, let's go through today's lineup. You can know what not to miss, what to expect for the rest of our day. Randy follows me right after we are done here at That's Life with something to talk about. Randy has on Hindi Pupko and Jay Feinberg from the Gift of Life Foundation. If you do not know Hindi's story, you should definitely stay tuned to listen to that program. Randy always brings us some kind of interesting perspective, and Hindi has a phenomenal, phenomenal story. At 5 p.m., it's Ellie Hagler. OU presents the Jewish Reaction, followed by the Stunt Show, hosted this week by Gorf. Nachum hosts the Thursday Night Extravaganza, and we have an all-new presentation of, of course, Spin Class with Michael Fragan, and then Book of Life with Charlie Bernhout. The day closes with an hour of Jewish soul with Charlie Bernhout. Um, did I...
What? No. Okay, fine. I thought I just said something. Join Nachum tomorrow morning from 6 to 9 a.m. as he hosts Jamie AM from 6 to 9. You can reach him as always on NachumSiegel.com, JamieAM.org, 91.1, 90.9, and 91.9 FM. He'll be followed by Table for Two with Naomi Nachman. She has a very interesting lineup. I think that we're all going to be doing these uh, smoothies. She started telling me about these weight loss shakes, these protein shakes. Let's see what happens. This show will be rebroadcast Sunday at 1 p.m. on NachumSiegel.com. Don't forget, 7 to 9 Sunday morning is uh, JM Sunday and Saturday Night Siegel, hosted by Avrami, starting at 10 p.m. Matze Shabbos. My thanks to Duke, both with this show and for engineering, and to Yael Lassen for her research, as always. What are we closing with? We are closing with A.K.A. Pella covering uh, Yesh Tikva. That's Benny Friedman's Yesh Tikva, because we got the whole uh, Hakadosh barbecue line in there. Somebody picked up on that, so we decided that was fun. Anyway, that's life, everybody. Bye, guys. Yeah.